Welcome into Live and Personnel, Nick Roush, here with Adam Luckett after an exciting NFL draft where we had two Kentucky Wildcats picked, and I know you were tuned in for every single moment of this year's NFL draft, Adam Luckett. I was. It was a fun three days. I think it started a little slow. You could tell the timing was off. Yeah. Trey Wingo didn't really know who to kick it to or how to kick it to him. Mm-hmm. But after that, I, I enjoyed it. I think uh, the first 10 to 12 picks was kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Right. But they kind of figured it out, and it flowed pretty good. And we got things like Cliff Kingsbury, Monster Bachelor Pad, oh, Bill Belichick's Small Vacation House Kitchen. <laughs> I there, there were a lot of, like, I, I'm surprised I haven't seen it, and I think it's because there were so many it was tough to do. But I think the way to analyze the draft is just by breaking down every person's setup and who had the best one in their living room, which made it an exciting draft. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of different aspects of it, from where Kentucky players fit in and just the broadcasts in general, which I think that's the wise, the wise place to start. But like you said, like it, it was a slow start, got really – got a lot better. And then you get through like round four on Saturday and, you know, it's like, okay, this is uh, – Stenberg got picked, you know, let's, let's, let's hang out till the sixth or seventh and see what catches our ear. There was one thing before I, cause I've, I've napped during some of it. One thing caught it's my right ear. Napping television. Oh yeah. Per, especially when they're not like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing this all over zoom, you know, mm-hmm. or, or what have you. But there was one thing that like my, made my ears perk up and that was the, all of the off the field shenanigans of some of these late round draft picks. Um, and just how they like talk about them. From the kid from LSU who's the offensive tackle, uh, Sadiq Charles. Sadiq Charles, yeah. Who they're like, yeah, we don't know. Like it, it was your classic, like, oh, he failed a drug test and he might not be motivated. Which, like, you know, they're just like, let's let's. Well, that was the classic. Like, he was probably a turd because everybody that talked about him would tell the NFL personnel that he was <laughs> tough to deal with. So, yeah, and that was a kid that probably should have went. You know, second round, I guess, into the third, early fourth. I think it might have even been later. I I know it was at least day three um, because that came up. Yeah. But that one was like your – Middle and fourth round sounds about right. Yeah. He was like a turd who like, Mm -hmm. you know. But there was one that was like, oh, my gosh, this person's hilarious. How have I not heard about him before? And that is a defensive end from Syracuse who got arrested for – Stealing his girlfriend's purse, not once, but twice. <laughs> and it was the second time where he got arrested. I guess, like, I don't know the full details of the story because ESPN, they were really good at kind of wedging in these big stories um, into, like, 30 seconds. But they let this one linger for a little bit. And all I could think of is there was a guy that got mad at his girlfriend because he thought she was cheating on him. So he took her phone and wanted to, like, try to break into her phone to see what other guys she had been texting. Yeah, that's an interesting relationship. If you have, if you, your girlfriend keeps you around after stealing her purse once. But do you remember, <laughs> like, I believe it was last year, FIU had a tight end. I think his name was Johnny Smith. He's still in the NFL, but his girlfriend dumped like boiling water on him. Do you ever remember hearing that? Oh, no. Yeah. He, uh, like, while he was playing at FIU, like, he had to stop playing in the middle of the season because he had, you know, burned his skin or whatnot. That, that 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 just reminded me of that. You should Google that. 
Johnny Smith water. I think that's the guy's name, Johnny Smith. I just, like, yes, we should not make too much light of domestic disputes, but when they involve, like, a Mad Libs-type situation, you know, we've got to be like, wait, that was real, and this guy's about to make a lot of money in the NFL? Yeah, well, we had ESPN pushing the dramatic effect hard. So, draft. I think in general, like, what were your – look, we'll just get into the broadcast in general because that was a big takeaway. But your overall, what, what did the NFL draft meet your viewing expectations? Yes. I think after the slow start, it was kind of weird. But once you got used to it, it was watch, like watching any other draft. You still got to see the players and their families react. You mm-hmm. even got more of them. Right, um, right. They got they – I think they had more cameras out in homes. Then you got to see some I, – I don't know. I, I liked it better than seeing the GMs and coaches in their war rooms. I, I don't know why. It just like a different type of experience, which I enjoyed. Yeah, and I, um, I, th- I think like really the only downside of it all is mm-hmm. that the Roger Goodell experience was just so bizarre. Yeah. Well, like, I was going to get that, – that, the Friday night Goodell was – <laughs> that was the best part of the draft was the last hour, hour and a half with him just mail. I mean, mailing it in as hard as you can mail it in. Well, it, just it, waiting it, for it to be over. So like, you know, I, I'm not one to um, like, I get it. It's a grind. You know, I've, I've been, I've come into press boxes and came out just absolutely exhausted. But like Roger Goodell, you get paid $40 million and all you have to do is keep it together enough to read off a cue card for what four or five hours like it's mm-hmm. not you're they're not asking you too much but like just trying to get him to like quote unquote interact with fans on that little <laughs> zoom call yeah <laughs> oh my god like <laughs> just the whole roger goodell experience yeah, i didn't that was a little too much we didn't need that <laughs> well, well, let me hear the booze <laughs> let me hear the booze and then when he was doing the skull thing he like yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't want to like give his 100 percent full effort like he wanted to kind of joke cool it but at the mm-hmm. same time i mean it was almost like um so you know when you're like you'll go to a family reunion or something and you have people who aren't comfortable around kids like they just haven't been around kids in a while and that's what he reminded me he reminded me of the uncle who's a bachelor and like tries to be cool around kids but like except he doesn't try to be cool around them by like giving them booze or anything he's just like how do you do fellow kids uh here's some (laughs) m&ms enjoy like skull yeah he he loves his m&ms man the thing with i think adele i think that humanized him to a bit of the NFL fan base because usually it's just, you know, you boo him, uh, you hate anything he does. This, I think that was, there was some comedic relief to him just being worn the heck out there towards the end. Yeah. And I, I, I love that people are like, oh, he was drinking on the drop. No, I just don't think he's been up past 11 o'clock. No, that's what I, no, he's, he had the definite dad look at like 1030 on a Wednesday night. Like what the hell am I still doing up? <laughs> Well, and also just the wardrobe changes. Like, oh I'm, yeah, I, Roger Goodell. I'm, I, I'm not. I can't see you in a t-shirt, man. Like, that's just not. Like, at least give me golf polo, you know. Like, you, right with dad jeans, you know. But the the t-shirt, it was just, it was something else. But it it, it was, was experience the Goodell Friday night experience. But everything else, like I, like you said, uh, I almost enjoyed 
seeing just the raw reactions from home Mm -hmm. more than the kind of like interviews on stage. Now, I guess we didn't get the like, like who was the guy in Philly that brought like the picture of his like grandma or whatever, like stuff like that. Yeah. You you can't get um, when you're not like on stage in front of a couple hundred thousand people, but all things considered, it was, uh, it, it, it exceeded my expectations and, Man, I Thursday and Friday, it was it was a rush, man. It was an absolute rush. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that probably we haven't had any type of sports. <laughs> yeah. So I think that was baked in there. And and but you I, had the I like the awkward moments with the girlfriends. Yes. Ed Lamb, and then you saw Isaiah Wilson's mom wasn't having it with old girl over there. No, no, she was not having it at all. And I'm, I going into it, I thought we would get some viral moments. And like you said, those first 10 picks, it was chalky. There wasn't any trades at the top of the board. We thought somebody might make a move for Tua or Justin Herbert or something. Yeah, it, did. it was. I was surprised, a little surprised with that. But, like, I don't even know what the first, like, kind of, like, whoa pick was. Um, I mean, I guess. Pro- I- the Raiders taking that corner. Damon Arnett was I mean, a that's all the way down to 19. I mean, yeah. I, I guess them taking rugs was a surprise, but not a surprise. But it, it, it took, you know, a good hour. Yeah, the rugs thing, they thought that was coming. Like, there was some scuttlebutt that he was going to be the first one, potentially the first one off the board. So I just, it, it, it was one of those where I was kind of waiting on the Laramie Tunsil moment like it. And then, right. and then when it Everything. happened, I was like, hey, oh, we got it. We got it. Mm-hmm. Um, which that dude got paid too, by the way. Yeah, he ended up being uh, pretty good. Apparently, smoking weed does not inhibit it, inhibit your football playing abilities. No, no. Um, as a matter of fact, it does not. Yeah, for me, the first round, I mean, it all went about how we thought it would go. But then, you know, the Packers were in the – that was the story, them trading up and taking Jordan Love. The, and then following it up with the, dra- the draft that they've had, that was, I think, probably the biggest story from the draft weekend. Well, and they, they traded up in front of – the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, the Seahawks with Russell Wilson yeah. to get Jordan Love. Like, they weren't going to pick quarterbacks. What are you doing, Green Bay? Yeah, I mean, they only gave up, I think, a fourth rounder, so it wasn't terribly bad trade. But still, but, that's a guy yeah, that it, it didn't make it didn't really make sense. So, what, what's made less sense, that or the Eagles getting Jalen Hurts? You can sell me on the Packers, like, that kind of thing. Like, we have Rodgers. We're going to ride him out these next three years. This is the best chance we're going to have, get it. This is the best pick. We're going to, best kind of chance we're going to get to have a quarterback of this talent. We kind of keep the same model we have with Rodgers where we kind of develop in a few years. Mm-hmm. You can sell me on that. And you could also sell me on the Eagles one, too. But for the, I think the worst thing is just the Packers, the overall draft strategy I thought was just silly. Just top to bottom. They yeah. were the <laughs> like you looked at their needs, it was like, okay, we just played the 49ers and they just ran for 988 yards on us in the NFC Championship game. Let's let's kind of address this front seven. Let's get some let's kind of do something to our run defense. Let's look on the other side. Outside of Devontae Adams, we've got a bunch of kind of bums at receiver right now. They even got rid That's, of Geronimo Allison. Like they got they didn't nobody. Yeah, so like maybe, you know, invest in a receiver at some point in a you know, a loaded draft, especially in those first three rounds. Like, mm-hmm. you get any receiver in those first, you know, 
100, 120 picks, that they should be a guy that can come in and contribute to your rotation. But they don't. They just kind of do whatever the hell they did, which was astounding to me. Yeah. I, um, but I think even from the, like, like you said, I can at least be sold on like, like Aaron Rodgers, thirty six. He's an old dude, but yeah, but we've seen like other quarterback now that might be, you might be able to play to your forty now. But on the other side with the 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 Jalen Hurts, that one uh-huh. is more baffling in that like, uh, are you just going to use him as a runner? Is is it or is he going to be like every other quarterback who can't throw, and we're just going to call him a Taysom Hill now? Well, I've got you know, – I'm glad you brought that up. I've got one of my notes here. It says Taysom, Taysom Hill comps. Oh, how many do we have? I, I swear I heard Taysom Hill 78 times during that draft. Tommy Stevens was the funniest one because it's like, ooh, big white guy, can't throw, but he's he's okay at running. But he's really no, – he's not. If you said that, you didn't watch Tommy Stevens play one game at Mississippi State. <laughs> he just sucks. He's not good. <laughs> he's just not a good quarterback. So, that, that was the thing. And, like – I get the Eagles, like, Wentz has been hurt a bunch. Wentz is good, but you, his health is a big issue. I get the fact of, like, let's get a quarterback in here. And I get – I understand, like, if you're going to invest money in this quarterback, you might as well have him in the game plan to do some wildcat-type stuff. Mm-hmm. But, like, Hurts is – I don't know. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't have had a second-round grade on him. I w- wouldn't have wanted to take him in the second round. So, from that – aspect I mean it's a stretch they're rolling the dice there and they're hoping that they can be smart enough to draw something up and use him and then in a pinch if they need him to start a couple games he can step in off the bench cold and win for you and he proved he could do that in the SEC championship game I think that game probably well two things I think really helped his draft stock was coming was staying at Alabama and that performance in the SEC championship yeah and anything Lincoln Riley touches turns to gold so like a lot of these NFL guys they go to Oklahoma and they listen to him and they think of him as one of the smartest football people in the world right now. So when they go down there and he tells them all the stuff about Jalen, you know, whatever they, and then you add the Saban layer on top of it. Right. It's guys that carry a lot of weight for some NFL people. And I, so I wasn't surprised that they went ahead and did it. And, and, and like I'm not Eagles, a, I wouldn't say I'm a believer in it. I mean, at least they also went and traded for Goodwin, who, like, I know Marquise Goodwin isn't, like, a showstopper, yeah. but they at least got uh, some weapon, you know, a weapon around wins. Right, and they loaded up on receivers, too. But to your point, though, when you, you just mentioned Lincoln Riley, how much longer is he going to stay at Oklahoma? Like, is he going to try to get a title before he goes to the NFL? Because, like, look with Cliff Kingsbury, the life he's living. He doesn't have to recruit. and He sucked at Texas Tech. And, like, that's how he was rewarded was with that job with the Arizona Cardinals. Like, what, what's it going to take to get him out of Oklahoma and into the NFL? That's a good question. I think with Kingsbury, it's just he had Johnny football, so he took college football by storm, and then he had Mahomes. And then what Mahomes has turned around and done in the NFL, I think has done more for Kingsbury's kind of reputation and what he is as a coach. Like, he, he owes a lot to Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but for Lincoln Riley, man, I don't know. Like, he's only 36 years old. He'll be 30, he'll turn 37 next season. So, man. he's got a long time left. And the Cowboys has always been floated out there as, like, the one. So, maybe if they came calling. But he seems pretty comfortable at Oklahoma. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that question. 
Well, damn it. Because like, eventually I, that, I, that I is. I came here for that, answers. I came here for well, answers that, like it. <laughs> that, that's obvious. I think that is the move. Like, it's eventually going to happen. For him, I think it's all about timing it up and making sure it's the right spot with the right kind of situation. And maybe trying because to. Because why leave Oklahoma? He's making the college yeah. football playoff every season. Yeah. Now, eventually at some point, people are going to – it's going to start – people are going to go the other way on him, especially if they keep getting there and losing, losing yeah. by double digits. Yeah. So, eventually you kind of got to break through. But I just – I see that Cliff Kingsbury house, and I think, man, that guy doesn't even have to recruit. Like, all he has Yeah, but Lincoln to- Riley's also married and has kids, and Cliff Kingsbury is a playboy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who it was, but it's like they said that he's the character. He's Ryan Gosling's character from Crazy Stupid Love. Like, yeah. And then they showed Sean McVay's house. I don't think they had a pick till day two. Um, but yeah, he had came acres. He had a similar uh, spread in that backyard where it's like paved mm-hmm. with like astroturf strips yeah. and like a fire pit. And I mean, they both they have the same kind of cut of beard. They got the same haircut, and it's like you Joe Cools over here calling your plays and just pipe it down some, all right? Well, let some of the fat guys, let the Andy Reeds and the Hawaiian shirts uh, rise to the top. And of all the people who did the scariest stuff during the draft, Andy Reed is at the top of it. Getting Clyde Edwards a layer, my goodness. Yeah, it's a perfect fit for the offense. I mean, it, it's an absolute perfect fit. Uh, Brian Westbrook, like – yeah, yeah. The the early comps, it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. And I believe they got um, – didn't they get a linebacker too? Willie Gay in second round. They, yeah. Which, their first two picks were – they hit it out of the park. As long as get Willie Gay stays out of trouble. Which Matt House, our boy Matt House, is going to be mm-hmm. reeling him in. And I, I realized that – you know who is probably the biggest loser in this draft for the Kentucky Wildcats? Who's that? Sawyer Smith. Oh, man. yeah. <laughs> man, he had a lot of – there were really gay highlights. And then uh, DJ – Sawyer threw a lot of interceptable balls. Oh, man, yeah. There with a bone shoulder. Between the South Carolina and Mississippi State games, not good days for Sawyer Smith. He probably got the most shine of any UK – because it used to be that, – that was the Louisville running joke. Uh, was that like – Yeah. You know, it, Kentucky only made the draft when other teams were scoring on him. And you don't see that as much anymore. We did uh, – we had the DeAndre Swift, Juke, and Mike Edwards, which I know he's tired of seeing. Did you see Mike Edwards' tweet? Yeah, he's like, is this the last time I finally see that? It's like, dude. I, know, I think he said Swift got me good, man. <laughs> I mean, but he's going to have to live with that forever. Uh-huh. And that was like, if we could like put a like tag a like, okay, Florida's or Georgia's just like two steps ahead of Kentucky. Mike Edwards, very great open field tackler. And DeAndre Swift did that to him. Yeah. That was like a – shit, we're just going to lose this one. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's not that was DeAndre Swift's day. But Saturday in November. Man, those numbers that he put up too mm-hmm. uh, against Kentucky, quite incredible. But that was the good news, though. Aside from your Mike Edwards highlight and a couple of bad passes from Sawyer Smith, not a whole lot of Kentucky, bad things happening in Kentucky. A lot of good things happening. And since I brought up DeAndre Swift, he's going to the Detroit Lions. Logan Stenberg is going to be blocking for him as a member of the Lions. How do you how do you like that fit for for Stenberg? Like it. First things first. Did you see Stenberg's little Mister Nasty T-shirts? Oh, I love it. It's going to go uh, great with my running ball one. hat. You already did. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes, that's what I'm talking about. Like it. That is that is putting your money where your mouth is. 
That's a good brand. It sounds like an <laughs> 80s wrestler. And it kinda, Mr. Nasty. It kind of has the font for it, too. Mm-hmm. It, he does, yeah. You don't know this like it either, but I'm actually talking to Stenberg and putting it on the end of this podcast. So he's going to talk all about Mr. Nasty Swag. And so that was just a natural plug, man. Well done. There you go. You're a pro's pro. Just setting the table for Mr. Nasty himself. <laughs> oh, man. No, but for, for the Lions, I think it's a really good fit for Stenberg. Uh, look, doing a little deep dive on the roster, they just invested in both tackle spots and they invested in a center, but they need some guards. Um, because the guys they got right now are going to be out of there here soon. So, they, you saw they took two guys there in the fourth round. Ohio State's Jonah Jackson, who could play center or guard, and then Stenberg. I think it's set up where he can come in, compete with Jackson, maybe earn the top backup spot, and then after that, potentially year two, year three, moving to the starting lineup. Man. So, I think from that standpoint, it's a good fit for him where he's going to get a chance to really prove himself and get some reps and get some playing time. And, and then look at their – they really invested in some running backs. You look yeah. at DeAndre Swift going there, Carrion Johnson's there right now. Mm-hmm. So, they're going to they're gonna run the ball. And Stafford's getting up there too where – Yeah. Like, they got to start thinking, like, what are we going to do? What's in our next five years? Is Stafford still going to be there? We got to keep this so dude they, healthy as long mm-hmm. as we can. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, our lean on the running game. Yeah. So, I think that – I think it's a good spot for him. Because also, of all, I, I like that the last the guy that ended that offensive lineman drafted drought. Uh, Larry Warford was drafted by the Lions, and he that's right. He was the third round pick instead of a fourth, but he started day one and turned that into a couple of Pro Bowls and a big contract with the New Orleans Saints. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a track record there, and I, I think also just like Detroit in general. If there's a place for Mr. Nasty, it's Detroit. Like, that that yeah, brand yeah, just resonates sure. right there. And I got a lot of videos of Stenberg just like – you know, Stenberg's a good quote, man. And mm-hmm. the Detroit Lions fans, I, I find it uh, – it's a it's a kind of a weird phenomenon when I'll get the, the comments on YouTube videos, like notifications and stuff. And when the, all these guys get drafted, people go to look up their highlights and they just find all of these old interviews. And there's interviews from like three years ago where Stenberg's like, I just want to hit people in the mouth. And like people are like, <laughs> welcome to Detroit. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely will. Yeah, I think he'll fit in well up there for sure. And to the same token, Lynn Bowden, dude was born to be a Raider. Yeah, from a culture <laughs> standpoint, man, it's almost like a perfect fit. He's like, a little good. Think of that. That black and silver, man, mm-hmm. he's going to look sharp in it. It felt like a glove. But I'm going to set the table for you because I, when you look at their roster, you pointed out this out in a really good post on KSR. If you all haven't gone back and read it, go do that. Um, but you really laid it out. Like, Bowden, this isn't just a situation where he's going to stroll right in. and Not plug and, and play at all. Yeah. Because – Okay, let's just break it down. You look at the Raiders roster. Okay, they're in the middle of this. It's kind of weird. Like, Gruden is, like, like they're kind of stripping it down to build it back up kind of thing. And so they're loading up on offensive talent right now because it looks like Carr is their guy, but they need as much talent as they can get around them. So you look at what they've done in the last couple of drafts. 
They got Josh Jacobs. They spent a first-round pick on him running back. It worked. They rode, Yeah, they rode him hard last year, and he had a good year. He had some injury issues, but played 13 games, ran for, I believe it was like 1,200 yards. He looks like he's going to be a guy that could potentially be a, you know, a multi-time Pro Bowl guy running back. He was uh, probably rookie of the year until he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I think he was on winner over Murray. So, you look at the Raiders' offense then, so it's, it's being built around Josh Jacobs right now. Like, he is their horse right now. That's who they're going to ride. So, that it's a, that was a lot of 12 personnel, a big person set. So, when that happens, they have a tight end who caught, like, 100 balls last year. Um, trying to think of his name. Can't think of his name off the top of my head. It's in the post. Yeah, yeah. Devin Waller. Devin there we Waller. go. So, you fantasy – some fantasy people probably had him last year. So, that a lot of their pass game was just, you know, ran through him for the most part. On the outside, they really didn't have any options. Hunter Renfro, the guy, the white kid at Clemson, mm-hmm. caught all, who beat Alabama. He's like – Pick play. He's their slot receiver, but he's looking like he could be kind of, you know, a Cole Beasley or someone like that just could play for eight years right there in the slot, get open all the time. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of got that slot position locked down. So when you look at it, they had to really address the outside receiver, and that's what they did, drafting Henry Ruggs first, uh, first round. He's going to be the guy to hopefully get – people out of the box so Jacobs doesn't have to run into these heavy boxes and so they can throw it over the top. And then you also draft Brian Edwards who can play the outside. So then it gets to Bowden. And we're, we've kind of seen in this AFC West, like the Broncos loaded up on skill position mm-hmm. because they're trying to catch the Chiefs right now. And they, th- like, they think you have to score 40 points to beat the Chiefs. The Raiders are doing that in a similar way, but I think the style they're doing is kind of different with um, kind of a ground-first approach. So when you look at Lynn right now, he's going in to this position, and Mike Mayock, their GM, said he's, he's gonna, we're going to play him at joker, which pretty much means uh, slash. He's going to be a wide receiver slash running back. So when, when you see that, you, what I think is like they want him to be their third down back because Jacob, they're going to ride Jacobs, but they want to put – Bowden in there for packages and really from a personnel standpoint, when you get in there with some tight ends and some running backs, you can split Bowden potentially out in the slot and get a really favorable matchup on them because teams are going to have to be in base or they're going to try to get teams in base against them. And then potentially they can see Bowden where they, he can create a lot of matchup issues at the secondary back to catch a lot of balls and be occasionally used in their run game and as a good kind of secondary piece to Josh Jacobs. The issue is, like, Lynn's going to have to learn how to play that position. Like, he just never yeah. played running back for, you know. Right, right. So, I think it's going to take some time. We saw Kentucky, it took him time to, you know, kind of get his feet wet at receiver. So, I think the expectations for him early on need to be tempered. Because what Lynn needs to do is get in there, learn all that he can, especially with, like, OTAs are going to be canceled. Yeah. have a short training camp, all that kind of stuff. So for him, it's going to be about making an impact on special teams because he, that's why they that's why they spend a top hundred pick on a guy like that. It's if they're potentially Lynn Bowden's going to be kind of a third down back. That's like what they're pushing towards. Mm-hmm. You spend a pick on a guy that's going to impact the game at multiple levels. So with Bowden, they're going to throw him in there to return kicks, and then and then some wildcat quarterback type stuff they could do. And really, long term, it's for him to 
take control, I think, of that that secondary running back uh, position next to Josh Jacobs and really be a guy that could, you know, catch 40, 50 balls in a season and really be kind of a unique playmaker for that offense. I don't want to go back to the Randall Cobb comparison because ESPN botched that completely, saying they went to the same high school. Not really sure where the research graphic department didn't got their swords crossed there and got that mixed up. But no, uh, Randall Cobb, Alcoa, uh, Lynn Bowden from Youngstown. Two, 500 miles separate them. Kind of tough to get mixed up. But from that same vein, Packers take a, take a flyer on Cobb, last pick of the second round, and his first play, he's a kick returner and houses it on Thursday night football, I believe. It was first game. Yeah, of the it was season. Thursday night. Yeah. It was so, the year they won the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I really made an impact from the get-go because he had to do a bunch of different things. That, that, was, that was a pretty loaded – like, I know that it's uh, – we like to rag on the Packers because Co- uh, Rodgers has only thrown, I think, one touchdown to a first-round draft pick at wide receiver. But that doesn't reflect how loaded that receiving core was back then. It uh, was, yeah. Yeah, they had um, – and now I can't think of the big white dude from uh, Kansas State. Uh, Jordy Nelson. Yeah, Jordy Nelson – uh, Greg Jennings, Finley, Donald Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they had a ton of dudes that – and Cobb just had to go be a utility guy for a while, and that's mm-hmm. how he got in the field. And that's what Bowden's going to have to do. But the part that worried me, Luckett, is that – I didn't know this. I knew about Jacobs. I was like, oh, great. Bowden will just be third down back. You know, I, he's, he's hard-nosed enough that when he's got to stay back for pass pro, he'll do it. But the Raiders just extended their third down back. yeah. It was, it's a two-year deal or $7 million, so it's not a lot of money. But it's kind of a thing where they're, they're locked in for him this year. Jalen Richard, who was an undrafted guy, went to the Raiders and has kind of won that third down back spot. Mm-hmm. So they probably have, you know, they feel pretty good about him if he's done all that for them. So he's, I believe it'll be his fifth or sixth year this year. But what that tells me is that the plan right now is for Bowden to learn it the first year. And then he's going to be that guy stepping in the position in year two where then they'll let Rashard walk and then kind of, you know, pay Bowden to step in and his, while his salary slowly increases. Right, right. From a financial standpoint, that's what makes the most sense. But to me, I think it's pretty evident that they are considering him as a kind of developmental project a little bit or prospect for right now. Not like a long term, but for in the short term. Yeah. Kind of figure out who he is and figure out how they can use him the best they can. Do you trust John Gruden to to make the most out of Bowden? Uh, I, I mean, it's up in the air. <laughs> Gruden's been out of it a while. I wouldn't say he's the most, you know, forward-thinking offensive guy in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's an idiot either. I think he'll yeah. kind of figure it out. Well, and, and there was a stretch last year. I mean – the Raiders, when, when that he Gruden's very overpaid. That's obvious. And you know when they did the Mac thing, everybody thought like, "What the hell are that they doing?" But to their credit, they were in the wild card hunt like in week 12, 14 last mm-hmm. year. Uh, until Derek Carr did that thing where he fumbled out of the end zone trying to dive for the pylon. Yeah. It was like the second or third time he's done it. And, and you know, well, their you, defense stunk last year, but their offense was pretty good. Right in top and, ten. And that's kind of how Gruden – Gruden, he gets offenses rolling. So, I think from 
like I, I like that Gruden, even though he might not be the uh, Kyle Shanahan of the NFL right now or the Peterson or any of these offensive minds that we all just always go to, he finds a way to get it done. And I think he also recognized Bowden's talent and said, okay, we can do something with this guy. And we also aren't forcing him to do everything at once. So in that instance, I do like that Bowden will have time to get his feet wet um, and kind of figure things out and, and isn't just kind of thrown into the fire right away. Right. I know no, he's not yeah. the most patient guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we all remember that freshman year, but I do think he's matured a lot. Um, and I, I fully, I, I just hope that the, in like year two, because year, year two is going to be a big year for him. I, mm-hmm. I hope that between the end of year one and year two, he has that full off season to, to use to his advantage, because I think that's the key moment in his career that can either make or break him yeah but the key, key thing with your one like he is going to be involved like he's going to be returning kicks they're going to have some type of package with him for a while some wildcat package that they'll figure out how to do so he is going to be involved a bit like it's not like he's just going to be riding pine that whole year yeah yeah but i just so, know from, yeah like it's a lot i'm very interested to see him <laughs> in, as, as that kind of third down back type of role slash guy who can, you know, line up in the slot and run routes and do some other stuff at that running back position. I'm very interested uh, in how they work well, with that. And if you look just based off evaluations, like it makes the most sense because he's not a cursed route runner. He, he showed cases of the drops when he was kind of, uh, you know, really straining at the beginning of this junior year. Um, but he runs the ball well. He's just great with the ball in his hands. So mm-hmm. I think the way that they were planning on using him is kind of the way that most people evaluated him at the NFL level. And because of that just huge run of wide receivers, we saw him picked at 80th overall, which I think that's about where I, I don't remember if we made predictions or not, but I feel like that's where we both kind of had him was he we was third, third round at night. I think 81 was probably a little, that would, I would have hit, if you would have said it at like 85, I would have took, you know, I guess the over, not the under. I would say closer to like end of the fourth, end of the third round. But yeah, I, I, I was, I wasn't as bullish as him getting all the way into the second round, but I thought he was going to climb. And that run of receivers was it even greater, like than you could have ever anticipated. I mean, and it just, it just goes to show you. Really man. started on in the second round once they started <laughs> flying off the board. They were flying off the board, and I, I loved it because like it just shows you that like, hey, you know these people are human as much as you want to like break down everything when they see like, Oh hell, we need a wide receiver. We got to get him while the getting's good. Um, mm-hmm. we, we can't be caught sitting on our hands. Um, or else Except you'll end the up, Packers. Exactly. Yeah. Or else you'll end up being the green Bay Packers. Um, as far as UK's undrafted free agents, where do you think that the, of all, of all the three, who do you think landed in the best spot? Do we know if my Wagner's playing tight end or not? Because they got about 78 of them over there in Chicago. Oh, man. Oh, I love it. The, now, like, a lot of those dudes are not going to be on the, like, not, not even making a training camp. But, right. like, when they drafted the kid from Notre Dame with their first pick in the draft out of uh, Matt Nagy's Pepe Silvia room, they, they, they pick up a tight end with their first pick. And – now that, that that gave them, I think, eleven on the roster. But really, aside yeah. from Trey Burton, they're not really paying anybody. It's like they could end up cutting them all. 
But and then Wagner, the entire like everybody just kind of assumed he was going to be a tight end, and that's where Wagner goes. And and Matt Matt Jones reports that he had places to choose, and I'm thinking to myself, if he had a choice, why would he go to the place with all of the tight ends? And the only logical explanation that I can think of is that they were just like they they promised him he could play receiver, where other places wanted him to play tight end. Yeah, I mean, if it's re- if he's playing receiver, I think he's got a chance because any receiver is bad. Real bad. And Alshon Jeffrey, that's where he got his start. And, I mean, I'm not – it's kind of apples and oranges when it comes to production, especially at the college level. But both big guys, big targets who can go up and make a play. So, mm-hmm. I, I could see that being some of the – And Nagy is – he is creative in the sense in what they do and they move stuff around. He just doesn't have a quarterback – that can really, they can really do much with. But okay. I do like some of the stuff he does on offense. And it, it makes you wonder, too, like, where would they be if they didn't do the whole Mr. Trubisky thing? Like or if they draft. just draft Deshaun Watson instead, if they just picked the best I mean, quarterback. That was the – well, Mahomes was the best. Was Mah- yeah, Mahomes was in that one. <laughs> but, it, but, like, Watson was – Yeah, the, close enough. Watson was the safest pick, though. And, yeah. Like, and and Bill O'Brien is just out there being an idiot with all of his pieces. Right, he's going to ruin him. So like, if they flip roles and just let Bill O'Brien and then flounder in Houston. Like, then we don't have to deal with seeing oh, the Texans mm-hmm. on that ESPN wildcard game every year. That's true. So, I, I don't know how we got off on this. Oh, Ahmad Wagner. Uh, yeah, I, I hope they're going to have him at wide receiver. I, I like that Calvin Taylor is going to be a Steeler, just because. That's a that's, fit. Because they run that 3-4. He can play that kind of 4-5 exactly. technique for them. And we'll see. I mean, he, Taylor's just going to have to – I mean, they, they're going to throw him in there and he's just got to win one-on-ones in camp. And then when the game comes, does he pop? We've seen him at times. He popped almost every game Kentucky plays. But can he pop in a limited, you know, amount of snaps? So, well, I and- he has a chance. I think Mike Tomlin just really likes Kentucky guys too. Mm-hmm. Um, and cool. not – not just from the quote that he had on that. Was it the Showtime thing where he tells Benny Snell, like, I saw you in that Florida game, and I knew right. I was going to draft Benny Snell. But Farrington Huguenin was on the practice squad. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. He was, he, they kept him around for a while, and they never really brought him up. But I guess they just really liked what he brought to the table. The practice player. And I feel like with Calvin Taylor, the upside's there enough that even if he doesn't click right away and he hangs out mm-hmm. in the practice squad, Maybe year two in training camp is when he makes that that leap, you know, makes that yeah. next step. Yeah, I mean, Taylor would be my pick. Maybe not make the roster, but I think he could hang around there a couple of years, and then who knows. And uh, T.J. Carter out at the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals. Corey Peters. Yep, that's right. Full Wildcat flavor out in the desert in Arizona. I don't, I don't think T.J. Carter is going to get an invite over to Cliff's home, though, for, you know <laughs> – Bachelor party or anything. Before the July party out there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you can light fireworks out there either. I feel like that's a forest fire waiting to happen. Or is, do they even have forests out there? A cactus fire? I'm not sure on Scottsdale's regulations. Yeah. I will say, I went out to Arizona last year for a bachelor party slash hangout. My, my sister got, went out to school there for a couple of years. And – it's it is a very strange like a lot of the houses look the same, um, where it's like these tiny little like kind of ranch style. They don't have any like grass or landscaping, but they all got pools. 
And yeah, I, that makes it, sense. It's it's just a weird setup. Cactus everywhere. Cool, but weird. I, I I wouldn't mind doing it for a little while, but the desert the desert's a strange place. So best of luck to TJ Carter out in Arizona. Um, but those are the only three that got signed. Jordan Griffin, Cash Daniel, not picked up by anyone. Stoop said he thought Cash might have a shot, um, but without the rookie mini camps, it's just it, it was a long Tough shot. Play. Yeah, yeah, just timing not on Cash's side at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a unique situation, I think, for everybody right now, like trying to figure out, and even NFL teams, like what they're going to do. Uh, you know, no rookie. Right. Rookie mini camp, no OTAs, none of that stuff. It's a weird time. It, it certainly is. It was a weird time on that. There, there, before we move on from the draft completely, because Mark Stoops, we, we Zoomed with him recently, and he had some, some uh, good nuggets that we got to talk about. But He had some zingers for you, my friend. Oh, he did. He, he brought the heat, man. <laughs> Stoops, Stoops is bringing the heat. But uh, in the, the draft process, A, I was kind of disappointed we didn't get, like, a um like a not a hack per se i guess the closest thing we got technical difficulties is that what you're saying yeah yeah like the worst technical difficulties we got was just like some quiet time between like trey wingo and forgetting to kick it to somebody you know like lewis you know like you just had riddick was the bad one his was like really delayed yeah he was but you know dude i'm telling you lewis riddick they talk about people getting gm jobs I, I think he's my favorite of all those ESPN. Yeah, I like him a lot. He just seems so well-informed. I don't know if it's his delivery or what, but I thought just in general, it was funny when they would um, – they brought out the Monday Night Football graphics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in one of them, they had Michael Irvin. And I, I think they had Michael Irvin on exclusively just to talk about every receiver that was drafted. I don't think he did on the I don't first think, I don't think he had any other – times to talk except for when a lot of Irvin has the juice man like <laughs> there is not a dull moment I guarantee being around that guy oh, every but, time he talks it sounds like the most important thing you've ever heard well and and they took him off on day three which I thought was a good thing just you didn't want to have too many people in mm-hmm. but well, like day three you just needed to let the draft guys let let yeah. and the personnel people let them well, dive into it and you can't, like, have those kind of yucking it up moments either when you're over a Zoom. Like, it just – it's hard to have, like, four or five guys, like, kind of ball busting. Like, it just doesn't – it doesn't play very well. Uh, but all in all, like, you know, thoughts and prayers to Todd McShay. Uh, who, yeah, it sucked. He went – I missed the back and forth with him and Kuiper, which I don't know. It probably wouldn't have been as good on the Zoom. Uh-huh. But that that's usually some of the best parts of the draft is when they go back and forth <laughs> or when McShay challenges him about a uh, prospect or whatnot and they kind of get going at each other. Well, and but I don't know how it would have worked if McShay would have been there either because there were just so many cooks in that kitchen that, like – I They probably would have dropped off, like, Booger or one of those guys. Yeah, probably Booger. Because Daniel Jeremiah, that dude, he, he knows what yeah. the hell he's talking about. I yeah. really like Kurt Warner, too. Yeah, Kurt, some of Kurt Warner's comps were, oh yeah, uh, great. But he, he kept just, wanting to compare people to Russell Wilson. <laughs> he kept throwing out Taysom Hill. Yeah, you know, it's easy. <laughs> I, I like though that Michael Irvin gets all he's got all of his Super Bowl trophies behind him. Yeah, so Kurt he had to like add like three trophies for day two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he added like a man of the year. He added like a bunch of random trophies from behind him. Uh, but I did it. I did like uh, Daniel Jeremiah with Kuiper 
Yeah. Because those are probably, to me, the top two draft guys. So having them together, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. No, that, that was, that was certainly good. Um, and there was, I, I was, the only two kind of staged moments we had were from Vrabel and from Belichick. And I would have thought, I guess these kids are nervous, but I, th- I would have thought that some of them we would have had, like, I guess the one kid did the Old Spice ad, but I would have thought we would have had some more, like, staged kind of deals from some of these kids. I mean, yeah. you got cameras in, like, 60 different places. And aside from watching Jake Fromm slide, like, and them, like, talking about him in his living room, he's not even in the living room. Like, what, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, we didn't get a whole lot of that. And I, I guess it's a good thing they were still taking it seriously. But there's no way my sense of humor – that would have been my way of, like, calming my nerves is trying to think of something really stupid till I pass the time. You got to think from – like, they had the camera on him Friday. So, like, they thought he was going to go on Friday. And so, he, you bring the camera in. It wouldn't have surprised if he went third round. It would, I think that was what was – that's what I'm getting at. I think that's what was expected. And he had to wait around all the way until the fifth round on Saturday. How would your wife handle it knowing that Jake slid that far? She was pretty upset. Ugh. Big Jake from State Farm supporters over here. It's, it's, it should be Jake from State Farm. I, I knew you were going to – I set you wait, up there. I was going to let you take it and run with it. But come on. But dude, like – which I think that kind of – I think that is Jake Fromm's problem, and I think it can be summed up in that nickname. Like, dude, you're given like, here, it's on a tee, swing away. And mm-hmm. his hesitancy to swing away and just blast it out of the park when it's just right there on a tee, I think that's ultimately his downfall. Like, that's, Why hit a home run when you can move the runner with a bunt, Nick Roush? <laughs> exactly. He's just over here throwing these – throwing it in the flat, throwing it in the front. Station-to-station quarterback. Hitting it in the little hitches. I mean, the thing that I felt even worse about is that, like, when these guys are sliding in the green room, they aren't watching. Like, I don't think they're watching the ESPN broadcast. And they were kind of roasting him when talking about Eason. They are like, yeah, how much? Oh, I know. They were like, (laughs) they usually, you can tell, like, to me, like, they don't ever really go in on a prospect. But when they start going in a little bit, they really don't like a prospect. And pretty then Eason, it's just like he was, he was like, you know, a turd or just a knucklehead. He's not gonna. He's, you're gonna draft him, and he's not really gonna work hard. I, I I like that with From because Trey tried to kick it to Lewis, but Lewis Riddick's mic was like delayed, and he Riddick was he had such a point to make about like he they were moved on and they kicked it to him, and he brought it back to Jake From being between. Herbert and Eason and just having a noodle arm. Like, he, he, he did everything to say, like, he just got a noodle arm. That's the point mm-hmm. of these combines is to stack yourself up. He wasn't putting zip on the ball, right. which I – man, just – Yeah, he had a good, I think, his theory on combines, which I don't think I've ever really thought of, is good. He's, and he was pretty much like, if you bring a guy in a combine, like, the competitive juices should start flowing and that they should go out and run maybe a better time than they're expected because they rise to this rise to the occasion. If you got a guy that comes out and doesn't perform there when the spotlight is on, what's going to like that, that's about as good a comparison as we have to like what's going to happen out there on the field when the lights are on. 
Well, so, and, I mean, that's why he said like it. He says it sucks now because it's not the combine's gotten so where a lot of people don't participate in it, and it's harder to tell. But from that standpoint, I think it was the compare or comparison he was making with Fromm is he got out here and he pretty much stunk the joint up. If he doesn't, if he doesn't throw in the combine, he probably goes in the third round, maybe even second. Well, and I know that people like it's easy to like, oh, it's the underwear Olympics. It's not game speed, but to that point, it's a competition. Mm-hmm. Like you're, I mean, and it'd be one thing if it's a bad pro day. Because you're in familiar confines. I mean, how many times have you been in that practice facility at your own campus? But you're at freaking Lucas Oil Stadium on, in prime time this year on national television. And that's your shot. That's, that's your time to prove it. And for Fromm, he gets out there and he's throwing in between Justin Herbert and Jacob Eason, yeah. who both have bazookas. So, like, from a horsepower standpoint, like – He's just not even close to those two guys. So, Man. and then that probably gets in his head too, especially after if you miss a couple throws early. That's but true. that's also why Hurts. I think you saw him really climb and get a second round pick, was because in that setting he threw really well at the combine. And he's a competitive juices guy. Mm-hmm. His number got caught when his number got called. He he delivered, and mm-hmm. we we talked a lot about Eason, and I kind of poo pooed him a lot leading up to the draft, but. If if the he he fell in the ideal setting, I can't think of somebody to jump in his shorts and light a fire under his ass better than Philip Rivers. Like Philip Rivers, Rivers ain't even gonna talk to that kid, man. Oh, but you you know what I mean? Like Philip Rivers doesn't have the arm, and he like it's it's just gone. Like he's an old man now, but he knows yeah. what he's doing in the football field, and he is one of those. He's the most intense personality. <laughs> like, like Aaron Rodgers. They is are like this, very yin and yang, man. Yes. We're like Rodgers is this stoic guy. He's going to be a terrible mentor. But at least from uh, for the Colts' sake, you got Phillip Rivers there. He is going to be just riding Easton. Like, if you're if I had your arm, I'd be freaking playing until I was 50. You're out here. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that if nothing else, if, if, if Phillip Rivers can't light a fire under his ass, then nobody can. How about say this is Philip Rivers last year? How about him for Monday Night Football? Yeah, yeah, I I think he'd be really good. In the yeah, booth. I especially because he's kind of got that good old boy Southern accent. He's gonna be saying, like, I bet you he has the weirdest little Southern idioms. You know, like it's gonna mm-hmm. be hotter he's than got a, some Gruden inning from a showmanship. Yes, standpoint. but Southern though. Yes, played quarterback, and he, and I think there were. When Gruden was on Monday Night Football, I think there was some of, like, the game was kind of – the game was changing and he had been out of it so, so long that he yeah. didn't know, like, the specific intricacies. I think Rivers coming out right away would know all of those. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. You saw with Romo, when Romo first got on, he knew everything about everything going on. Yeah. And I think you've seen as a couple of years have gone by, he's he still knows a lot, but it's not as much – he, he's, he's, that he's pumped, I don't think he's pushing it as hard either. He's pumping the brakes on that, that prediction. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, but enough NFL draft talk for now. We do have some actual college football to get to. And when Mark Stoops, he went on a Zoom meeting, and I think some of it was to just kind of talk about fits and, you know, give us newspaper and TV folks, especially the TV folks. They, they really need um, those kind of yeah. – TV guys were tossing them some questions, man. They were getting a lot in. Oh, yeah, especially some like, hey, let's talk about J.J. Weaver, you know, like mm-hmm. banking that for 
a slow day uh, in May for the Louisville TV crews uh, to use for a sportscast. But and it, aside from that, uh, he talked about, I, I guess, the thing that's good and bad with this version of Mark Stoops like it is that this is the first time that we ever get Stoops – we've ever gotten Stoops' opinions on, like, bigger issues. He hates – talking about big issues that's above my pay grade you know he doesn't like to dip his toe in anywhere that he's no he doesn't play the uh he he has very little interest in uh the politics side of the world I think you know what though he's he's fine he's done it in each of the last where he's at least like shared some sort of sentiment on hey are you worried about football happening? And he said, yes, quite bluntly and kind of expounded on it. And that was news. And then this time they asked, Hey, do you think that fans will be in this? Like, should we play college football without fans in the stands? And he kind of eased his way into it by bringing up the arguments that you and I would bring up. Like, Hey, it looks really bad. If you've got these college kids spitting all over each other and sweating all over each other, but you're not going to say fans can be here. And then further that point was like, Hey, financially, and just from a it helps us standpoint, like I can't see our sport having it without fans, and I want fans in the stands if we're playing. Yeah, I mean football in those big stadiums without anybody there, it would be weird. Uh, and just like, from a product to watch, at the bare minimum. I can I can even imagine like the NFL doing it for a week or two, but college just it doesn't re- it doesn't really click. And I think if if I think my overall point in all this and why it's newsworthy is if you've got Mark Stoops, a guy who's not the most opinionated guy um, when it comes to issues like this, if he, if we know he, that's where he stands, then that's pretty much where everybody's got to be standing right now, right? Mm-hmm. More than likely. So I, I think that's kind of where we can at least have our heads at as far as when we can expect football returning. Obviously, there's no timetable right now. We're not the decision makers in that process. The decision makers. They're, they're more worried about getting hospitals um, to where they can, you know, getting dentist office back open, getting, getting the important stuff, getting barbers to be able to cut hair. There are steps we've got to take, obviously, to get there. But at least it's good to know kind of where Stoops' head is at as far as that goes right now because that's it kind seems, of where everybody's at. It seems like that important date is probably like July 1st or around there to determine if people are going to be able to be back on, in school back in colleges yeah there's been a couple i think like tj said that uh oregon maybe was one of them um, okay. and like there was just a couple different ones who said hey we we plan on having campus classes on campus this fall we expect you to be there um okay so yeah, i i think there's a couple that are at least trending that direction i think as long as that happens i think they are going to be on the right track to play and i think it could be that delayed scenario that I talked about I believe a couple podcasts ago where maybe they move the first three weeks of the season and right. catch them on to the end of the season. So to give them more wiggle room right there, but there's really nothing we can do. I think it's just about hopefully people places start opening up and hopefully nothing bad happens with these slow reopenings. And if we can survive all that, I think sports in general is going to be back up and running normally by about, you know, September, October. But, I mean, it's very much wait and see. You don't know what's going to happen if they're, we're going to have, a, you know, a kind of second outbreak or whatever. I mean, I don't really know. 
I'm not Mr. Uh, coronavirus by any means. Right. Right. But, but it's definitely, you know, cause for concern. And I just don't, I don't see how they could do a, fo- a spring football season. And I just don't see how that will work. I don't see what the turnaround time will be to get back into the next season. Stoops, and then you got the supplemental draft, I think, coming up. Uh, where the, yeah. People keep talking about that, where they think there's going to be some guys, some good players that enter that this year. Huh. And I believe that's over the summer. So um, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, there's a lot of dominoes left to fall, I think. I, um, like, like you said, I can't see it being entirely in the spring. Uh, but I think from, like, the most common sense standpoint, once again, like, Stoops is not Mike Leach or Gundy when it comes to like saying outlandish things. And his point on how you return, like he, he used just making sure that they have enough time to prepare. Um, the incident, I mean, right after this came out, the incident said, if we get college football back, they're getting at least six weeks of kind of training camp time to prepare. And Stoops' point was like, hey, if they let us come back July 1, don't make us have these restrictions where, like, we, you know, we can run them, but we can't run seven on seven with them. Like, you know, at least let us, while they're doing this stuff, be on the field with them. They won't have pads or anything on. July but, 1 is plenty of time. Yeah, that's and that's two or you three get, weeks extra. You get, almost a, you get almost a full month before you have to enter training camp. Yeah. And so to, that's to get them acclimated. And then, like, let's not – yeah, let's be real about it. these are eighteen to twenty-two young men who can recover quickly, who work out like crazy all year round. Like they're going to be ready to go. They're going to be wound up. Yeah, right. They're going to be ready to. <laughs> they're going to be ready to go. It's not going to take much. I think after you get them all, get your hands on them for two or three weeks to get them back into the. So ready the for regimen. Yeah, like. I'm ready to do go through a training camp where we're getting beat up a lot. Right. Um, so yeah. back, like it wasn't that long ago where where freshmen didn't show up until the, the first day of practice. Yeah, they didn't do anything all summer. It wasn't that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that we that was happening. Did you see Khalil Branham's workout today? By the way, no, I did not. Dude's like he's balancing on one of those exercise balls while catching passes from a gun, from a drugs machine. Like he loves that guns machine, man. Oh man, he's all about it, dude. That's his best friend. That's he he loves that drugs machine more than you love Earl or Merle. Sorry. And how about how about a uh, Boo Knight? Like I think his family's still out, and or he's still out in Oregon, huh. living because they can't, yeah. they couldn't move. Yeah. He just got hired. I mean, why would he try to move, you know? Right. So, <laughs> man, that is that is wild. Um, speaking of wild, uh, Mark Stoops roasted me, kind of, sort of. Not really, but kind of. I, I, I noticed that. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Look, it, when, when they said he, that. He, he backed you down and dunked on your head. Oh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But it was one of those things where I was like, all right, I, I'm not going to ask. I, I don't want to be the guy that asks a question just to ask a question. But I, I remembered right before going on, I was like, oh, our boy Phil Steele's been at work. I'll get a quote from Stoops 
he's been he's been you know filled a little chest. Was that he did that? I didn't see I didn't see that the what the question yeah. you asked him. Okay. So so they introduce like Tony Neely introduces me. He's like, oh, we got a new dad on, and I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. here we go. So you know, Mark makes a little small talk. Oh, congrats, boy or girl? I was like, oh, little boy, happy, healthy, all is well, and. That gave me the open for my goofy joke that I was thinking about, like my kind of goofy question. So I was like, "All right, I'll come back to it, but I want to see if he'll he'll jump, he'll, if he'll take the bait on this strength of schedule quote." And you know, I was like, "Yeah, ESPN ranked y'all having the sixty-fourth type of schedule. Do you think it's that difficult? You know, just, just seeing if he would take it. He didn't. It was just so like, if anybody wants to come play our schedule, by all means." Um, which mm-hmm. we'll get into that. In a Sometimes he does take it and try to deliver a message. He, yeah. He, but that he, wasn't the time. No, he really didn't. But I was like, all right, I'll save myself. I was like, well, you know, speaking of dad stuff, it's like you're probably having to help with some homeschooling. What, what's the subject that you, you hate, you, know, you, you don't want to help with? or uh, Something along those lines. I'm butchering my delivery. The delivery wasn't that bad then. He was like, I, I hope that newborn keeps you up all night. <laughs> And then he responded. He was like, you know, my kids, well, I'll offer to help. And they just kind of laugh at me like, come on, dad. You aren't going to help yeah. us with that. Yeah, out here, dad. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Because, <laughs> um, like, he's like, my seventh-year-old or my seventh grader, they're doing algebra. No, no, that's that's not for me. But I'll still kick their ass in Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, he did add that in. Got to get in that last job. Uh, but I did want to bring up Phil Steele's – as we wrap up, I wanted to bring up Phil Steele's strength schedule because I was kind of shocked on the face level. But here's the thing, Luckett. When we look at this U.K. schedule, we mostly look at it from, hey, you're trading Arkansas at home, real bad Arkansas team, to going on the road at Auburn. That's obviously an upgrade. Therefore, the schedule is much harder. But if you look at it on the whole – all of those 50-50 games that Kentucky's been pretty good at winning in recent years are a lot easier than they were in the past. Um, well, that's why you can talk yourself into them having, you know, a 9-10-1 season. It's, and it's, and it's how the schedule breaks a little bit. And it's very plainly said just by, like, what the coaches – the coaching situations. Missouri and Mississippi State, new coaches. Uh, and then – Vanderbilt's going to be really bad. Yeah, and Muschamp, he's going to be on the hot seat. They got the toughest mm-hmm. schedule in college football. Get them home. Yeah, so, like, when you look at it as a whole, I, you can understand why that Phil still saying, okay, this is only the, the 64th uh, most difficult schedule in college football. Yeah, and then you look at just non-conference. Eastern Michigan, Kent State are probably going to both be two teams with probably a loser, like, that are going to finish 5-7, and seven, maybe 6-6 six and six at best. So, and then you get you have that FCS opponent on there. Yep. And then if Vanderbilt's as bad as we think they're going to be. Which they're going to be. In, yeah, they are going to be. In Missouri, we don't really know about. They don't – they've got quarterback issues, new coach, all that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think you could see the path of this being a very manageable schedule for Kentucky. So, uh, and I think – I mean, we've we talked about it recently, but yeah. and you get a. You, the, I think the buys timed up well too, because yeah. it's goes. I think you, it looks like you play, you play eight, and then you get the buy, in the in the back end you have Georgia, the Georgia game, and the Tennessee game, which have been two really physical games for Kentucky the last couple of years. 
and I, I kind of got into it with some people online because I, I'm of the belief that the, Georgia, all their scary guys, just they don't scare me anymore. And, I, you know, I get people in their mentions, well, oh, this five-star running back. I was like, yeah, well, ain't, they weren't even cracking. What's the one kid, the fast kid? It's like strong or um, he has a name like that. Uh, that was a freshman last year. Who got, White? Yeah, White. I, yeah, that he's no DeAndre Swift. He's no holy, like he's not like these dudes that we've seen the last couple of years, going all the way back to Gurley uh, to now. Those dudes are all NFL running backs for a reason, except for Holy. Mm-hmm. The, this next, they don't scare me in the way that those other guys did. The offensive line's all gone. If not, yes, they still have a very talented that's, defense, but man, that's, that's the offensive the line mm-hmm. breaking in a new quarterback and. Who were their weapons last year? Oh, yeah, that's right. They didn't have any on the outside, and that's why their offense sucks so bad. That's the big thing, I think, losing Pittman and all that star power on the offensive line they lost. And, and that, you know, Kay Mays didn't get drafted, but he's, he left. I, yeah. Now, they've recruited well, but you have, to, you have to worry about that, especially with a new system and a new quarterback. And a new offensive line coach. And yeah, a new offensive line coach. I mean, there's a lot, there are a lot of moving parts over there right now to Jeez. get to work. Now, on the other side of the football, Georgia's going to be nasty. I mean, yeah. they're going to be nasty on defense. That, they're they're going to win games like thirteen to ten. Yeah, like, that's that's how they're going to have to do it this year. But 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 I do think the Newman Jamie Newman hype is getting a little bit out of control. <laughs> um, I love getting the, the text from Luckett at 11.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Old David Pollock up here starting that Jamie Robinson, <laughs> that Jamie Newman in the hype train. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm sitting on my couch getting ready for the draft, and they get on there talking about next year's draft. And it's the usual cast of characters. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, rolls around to Pollock, and we got to hear about – I have to hear about Jamie Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's let's let him play a game first for in the Pump those breaks. Hey, by the way, did you see did you see the videos of Sam Pittman after his guys got drafted in the yeah, first I did. The, the the video of him talking to Andrew Thomas was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I'm cheering for Sam Pittman hard, man. I like him. I know, I do too. He's like, I thought, wait, you only went to school for three years and you're the number <laughs> four pick? What? Like, oh, I just I love it. And you I, can see why he can recruit, man. And you know what? I we can cheer for Sam Pittman because we aren't. Kentucky's not going to see Arkansas for what five more years. Like, yeah, wow. Well. And if nothing else, they're just going to beat up on the other West teams. So, yeah, let's go, Sam Pittman. Go Hogs. Woo pig, Suey. Woo pig. Oh man, but like it, I need to get out of here. Yeah, you got daddy, daddy duties. Yeah, it's bath time. I can I can hear him right now. He's saying, "Dad, come on." What's Mom, What's worse, time. bath time or changing diapers? Diapers aren't that bad unless he like pees on you or something. The worst is when he just doesn't want to sleep. That's the worst of them all. Because you're like, dude, just, buddy, I know you're tired. Just quit fighting. Is it, does he have like the? Does he have a schedule set yet, or is it kind of? Oh, it's, it's, it's. Let's hope it's on kind of a schedule. Schedule. <laughs> So that's kind of where we're at right now. We're figuring out as we go. Natural key. Well, and I'm I've been bad bad about it. So it it was it's nighttime. It's PM coffee now. There you go. <laughs> so um, we appreciate y'all tuning in. 
I appreciate. Hey, it was this was fun. It was fun having three days of football to, to let ourselves forget about all the other crap going on. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a little too much, <laughs> and I thoroughly enjoyed talking some ball with you, Luckett. It's been a pleasure as always, and to everybody out there, thanks for listening to Eleven Personnel. Go Cats. Go Kroger. Las Vegas, Las Vegas.